Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Friday, June 24th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what we're covering today. Devastation in Afghanistan. Plus, a call for solidarity from Asian Americans. But first, today's one big thing. A Supreme Court ruling expands gun rights. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. That was the reaction of New York Governor Kathy Hochul when the Supreme Court yesterday struck down a more than century-old New York state gun law. The court said the law, which limits who can carry guns outside the home, conflicts with the Second Amendment. And the ruling stands to significantly expand gun rights in the U.S. Jeffrey Rosen is president and CEO of the National Constitution Center, a nonprofit focused on education about the Constitution. And he's here with more. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi. Good to be here. Jeffrey, why does the current New York law conflict with the Second Amendment, at least according to the six conservative members who voted to strike it down? According to the Supreme Court, the New York law is an outlier inconsistent with the history and tradition of gun regulations. Basically, the court said that only six states have a system like New York where you have to show a good reason for carrying a gun. And it's embraced a view that Justice Thomas has long held, but didn't seem to have a majority until now, which is that the Second Amendment is not a second-class right, as Justice Thomas said. And by basically insisting that you have to look to history to figure out whether regulation is okay, the court has signaled a real willingness to, to take a hard look at gun regulations that many folks had thought were constitutionally unproblematic. What do we hear from the dissenting judges on this opinion? Well, this is one of Justice Breyer's most blistering dissents. And he both suggested in his final words that this would make the country more dangerous. But he also said that until now, in Second Amendment cases, like First Amendment cases, the court has balanced the urgent interest in public safety against the individual interest in self-defense. Here, Justice Thomas threw all that out the window, and he said it's just up to judges to look at the historical record on their own and try to decide whether weapons that, of course, the framers couldn't have imagined because they didn't exist back 200 years ago are or are not consistent with tradition. So it just, it, I, I think it's not too much to say that this changes the legal landscape. It was not obvious that there was a majority on the court to adopt such a robust vision of the Second Amendment. And now all sorts of regulations, both those that are currently on the books and ones that might be adopted in the future, are open to constitutional challenge. Jeffrey Rosen is the president and CEO of the National Constitution Center. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thank you. Another story we're watching this morning. Residents of southeast Afghanistan are taking stock of the devastation from Wednesday's magnitude 6.1 earthquake which estimates say has killed more than a 1,000 people. Many more are thought to be injured. Minimal resources, along with rough weather and terrain, have made rescue and recovery efforts difficult. But already, thousands are facing the loss of loved ones, homes, and even entire villages. The Associated Press reported yesterday that some people were digging through the rubble by hand, while others were preparing mass graves. Afghanistan was already dealing with a number of other crises, including hunger. One UN-backed report said about half the country was facing acute hunger as of early May. You can find the latest of this story at Axios.com, and we'll keep following it here on the podcast. 
In a moment, a solidarity march on the National Mall led by Asian-American community members. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. 15,000 people are expected in Washington, D.C. tomorrow for a solidarity march led by the Asian-American community. As we continue to see increased violence against Asian-Americans, organizers of the first National Unity March say their goal is to demand progress towards achieving equity across marginalized groups in the U.S. One of the speakers for the event is Jose Antonio Vargas, the founder of Define American, and he's with me now. Hey, Jose. Hi. Nice to be with you. What are the other calls to action for this unity march? What are the specific goals you're hoping to achieve with this gathering? One of the goals is to actually get people to talk about a pathway to citizenship for undocumented Asians and Pacific Islanders, to have a conversation about racial and economic justice. We get treated so much as a monolith, and yet the community is so diverse. And the gap between higher income to lower income, the lowest income, is actually the widest gap of any racial group in the country. So that's a big one. And to me, cultural equity and media representation. When you ask people about the most popular Asian Americans, the answer is Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee. At a time when Kamala Harris, right, is the first, not only the first Black American, but the first Asian American, right? She's South Asian. So the erasure, the kind of marginalization that we even get at that level is something that we all have to push back against. Unfortunately, The rise in anti-Asian hate crimes has also given, I've seen reports where this feeds into existing stereotypes between marginalized groups. How do we keep that conversation open and inclusive, especially when we're thinking about the Asian American community? I think making sure that we call it out whenever we see it. I know within my own family, sometimes the media plays up, you know, for example, that when Asian American elders are getting attacked, it's, it's black suspects. Right. And you have to remind people, no, that's actually you are you are picking certain parts and actually not looking at the big picture. It's sad in a way that it takes violence to unite this community. But in a way, I'm thankful that against all of this, we have found a way to actually come together as a community, as a group of people. So if in a year's time you and I were to sit down to talk again on the 12th anniversary of your coming out as undocumented. Oh, gosh. (laughs) What? What change would you like to have seen happen in the next year? Well, I'm not going to lie to you. I am. I'm not sure we're going to see much change policy wise, for example, on, on immigration reform. I think we are now at the mercy of a paralyzed Congress. I also think when I look at the arc of the LGBTQ rights, I'm reminded that so much of that change happens state by state. It's not perfect, but cultural change in the LGBTQ movement preceded policy and political change. So that is what we're working towards. And that's the kind of change that I think we can actually work on and actually see have some movement. Jose Antonio Vargas is the founder of Define American and the author of Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. Thanks for being with us, Jose. Thank you so much for having me. Yesterday was the sixth day of public hearings this month by the House January 6th Committee. One headline from the hearing, six House Republicans sought pardons after the attack on the Capitol, including Representatives Matt Gaetz and Marjorie Taylor Greene. 
On Fridays, we like to sum up the week's political news. That's why today I wanted to end this week with something that struck me as we've been covering the hearings. It's a theme we've heard from a number of Republicans who have testified, how their religious beliefs, specifically their Christian faith, played a role in their refusal to subvert the 2020 election result. Vice President Mike Pence's lawyer, Greg Jacob, shared this moment from when he and Pence were in a congressional bunker, and Jacob pulled out his Bible and read the story of Daniel in the lion's den. My faith really sustained me through it. I, down in the secure location, pulled out my Bible, read through it, and uh, just took great comfort. And Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers told the committee about his reaction to pressure from Trump's team to remove Biden electors from his state. It is a tenet of my faith that the Constitution is divinely inspired of my most basic foundational beliefs. And so for me to do that because somebody just asked me to is foreign to my very being. I, I, I will not do it. To me... All of this is a reminder that for so many of the people involved in the events on January 6th, this was much deeper than politics. It was a crisis that forced them to go to the core of their identity and what they believe to decide how they would respond. The committee is expected to resume another round of public hearings in a few weeks. That's all for us this week. Axios Today was produced by Nuria Marquez-Martinez and Lydia McMullen-Laird. Our sound engineers are Alex Sugiyara and Ben O'Brien. Alexandra Boti is our supervising producer. And Sarah K. Goo is Axios' editor-in-chief. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. I'm out next week on vacation, but Erica Mandy will be here filling in for me. Stay safe, and I'll see you soon. Money Rehab with Nicole Lappin is the chart-topping daily podcast that'll help you gain control of your financial life in 10 minutes or less. Whether you're trying to save money at the gas station or navigate salary negotiations, Money Rehab's here to help thanks to its host, award-winning finance journalist and former CNBC anchor Nicole Lappin. Follow Money Rehab with Nicole Lappin wherever you find podcasts.